thank you very much. And please be seated. In the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the Word of God, if we are saved, He does indeed live within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We're getting, um, this is, I can't take a lot of time on this today, but that's not the main reason that we know He lives. Not just because He lives in my heart, but because of all the evidence, biblical, historical evidence, truth, that Jesus Christ is alive, that He rose from the grave. In fact, if He did not, then we're lost, we're hopeless. If Jesus is not alive, if He didn't rise from the dead, then we're not good, there's no heaven, there's no hope for us, and that's how important it is. In fact, the Bible says, we're going to look at in just a moment, turn now to uh, Philippians chapter 2. While you're turning there, the Bible tells us that you don't have to believe a lot of things to be saved. The first thing you have to believe is that you are a sinner and that Jesus Christ died for your sins, but the Bible says you have to believe, you must believe that he rose again. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You can't, can't be saved without believing in the resurrection. And if we tell people, so if we want to tell people about Christ and give the gospel, we, we must, we have to tell them that he rose from the grave. And that's pretty easy because I tell people all the time, dead Savior couldn't do anything. Dead Savior couldn't save anybody. But he's alive. He's alive. All right, we're going to start in Philippians 2 for a moment. I'm going to, we'll read that, and then we'll pray, and then get into the message for today. And I really just have uh, basically three passages of Scripture, um, main passages, and then perhaps a couple others uh, supporting ones. But we're going to start with Philippians chapter 2, and starting verse 5, and please follow along. And I'm just I'm going to read down through verse 11. <clears throat> Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pause and pray and then get into the message. Father in heaven, we are so thankful. And once again, we come to thee in the precious name of Jesus Christ. I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I pray that the congregation today would not be so much aware of, of me speaking, but of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit speaking through His Word. And so, Lord, please accomplish things this day. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, the title of today's message comes from verse 9, where God also hath highly exalted him. And we, so we want to, as I said already, our, my main desire today is to exalt Jesus Christ. He who is highly exalted, and God hath highly exalted Christ because he humbled himself, died on the cross for us, and then he rose from the grave bodily, is alive forevermore. Hallelujah. All right, let's begin. Let's go to Acts 2 to begin the, the actual message. Um, Acts chapter 2, and the first thing I'd like us to consider this morning for a few moments is his death and resurrection. His death and resurrection. We've been looking at those things for the last couple of weeks. Again, the most important person who ever lived is the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest events in history were his birth, his death, his resurrection, and then the most important event to come in the future is his, his return. He's coming. He's coming again. But I want us to look at love. Three verses in Acts chapter 2. Okay, they, they, just, they just tell it like it is. They really set forth for us this morning 
what this day is all about and what every day, but every, every Lord's Day, every day of our life must revolve around these three verses. And again, it's the fact that we meet on Sunday morning, which the Bible calls the first day of the week, is because Christ arose the first day of the week. And then the, in Revelation, John refers to this day as the Lord's Day. And so, we do that too. We need to. But anyway, so here is the Apostle Peter. Let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, before Jesus went back to heaven, he met with his disciples. He told them that they were going to go off, they were going to go off in the world preaching the gospel. But he said, don't leave Jerusalem. Tarry in Jerusalem until you be endowed with power from on high. Jesus said, you will receive the Holy Ghost, and you'll receive power, and then you'll be witnesses. All right? Well, that day had come. The day of Pentecost came. The Holy Spirit came upon those believers, and after some really marvelous things happened, Peter got up to speak. And by the way, this is the fulfillment of Jesus when he said to Peter, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So Peter had, was the first one to publicly preach the gospel after Jesus went back to heaven. And so this is Peter speaking. And so it says, look at verse 22. First of all, look at his death, Christ's death and his resurrection. Um, and Peter refers, reminds them, listeners, by the way, these were all Jewish people the Bible tells that, if you want to go back and, and read earlier in chapter 2 sometime, they had all come, thousands of people that come to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. It's a very important day in, in the Jewish feast calendar, and the day of Pentecost was a picture or type of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so they were all there. And the Bible says they were devout, devout people, devout men from all over the world had come. So these were people who already were believing in God, they believed the Old Testament. They were looking for the Messiah. They, you know, these these were these men were these people were serious about the Word of God, and they just needed one more thing. They needed to hear the gospel. They needed to hear about Christ. So, Jesus or Paul rather speaking about Jesus, ye men of Israel, hear these words. In other words, listen to my listen to what I'm saying. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. These people had been around Jerusalem several times, and they, they knew about Jesus and his works, his, his miracles, and you know, raising the dead, and, and healing, uh, giving sight to the blind, and all those kinds of things, and the wonders that he did. Uh, the wonders there really speaks about the marvelous things that he showed in his teaching. And signs that he gave, like when he went into the temple and drove them all out over selling animals and all that kind of thing. And God did it. God did it by him. <coughs> verse 22. But notice his death. Verse 23. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. All right? I think everybody, everyone in, the, in this building today knows that Jesus died on the cross. And I find it very interesting, the words that are used here, because back in the Gospels, you know, you know what happened, the, the chief priests and so on, they sent a band of men, they arrested Jesus, brought him before the chief priests and so on, and then the Bible says they delivered him to Pilate, and then there was a couple other things went on. Pilate sent him to Herod, and Herod sent him back to Pilate. Then the Bible says that Pilate delivered him to be crucified. All right? But notice who it's, how who it says, or what, what the verse says, ultimately delivered Jesus. Him, him being delivered, given over, to be crucified. By what? By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So the death of Jesus Christ was according to and by the will of God. Determinate counsel is an interesting phrase. It's the idea of God's preordained and appointed will and plan. So God had already determined and, and willed and worked out that this was going to happen to the Lord Jesus. And it also says not only the, the determinate counsel, but it also says the foreknowledge. 
Yeah, and that's simply the foreknowledge simply means a knowing before. So God knew, and according to the Bible, before the foundation of the world, that he would send Christ into the world to die on the cross to provide salvation for sinners. So it was it was foreknowledge. He knew before. Now also, um, God also knew, and again, this, I mean, there's some controversy man-made, but God also knew who would be the recipients of that salvation. Now notice I said he knew who would be. However, it must be received. We must receive it. And the Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And I get it. People are like, let me just, can I just say a word about foreknowledge? I know this is too simple, but the fact is this. God knows what I'm going to do this coming Thursday, but it doesn't make it happen. God knows if I'm going to do something good. He knows if I'm going to do something bad, but that in itself doesn't make it happen. Right? We're not fatalists. We're not like whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And a lot of people try to use that. Don't do that. Um, we can't understand that, the fact that God knows it's going to happen, but that doesn't necessarily make it happen. God never makes me sin. He never makes you sin, right? God, he knows it, he, he knows it's going to happen, if it's going to happen, but we need to just leave it at that. God does, God knows everything. And if you're interested, you know, you can get a Bible dictionary, or you can get a good book, and you can look up the word um, omniscience, which means God has all knowledge. It's an amazing study. You'll never get it. You'll never, you'll never get to the depths of it or fathom it. But let me, so in other words, not only, not, but in this case, not only did God know that Jesus would die, God determined that he would die. Romans chapter 8 says, God delivered him up for us all. So Jesus Christ was on that cross because it was the eternal plan of God for our salvation. But then notice what else? Verse 23 says, Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Yes, there were those among that crowd who probably had been among that crowd that said Hosanna to the son of David when he rode into Jerusalem, and the same crowd that said crucify him, and the same, they're here, they're, the, some of those people are right in that same audience of, of Peter. And so he says, You took him. And by wicked hands have crucified slain. So his death was also by wicked hands. And up and believe me, according to scripture, obviously those people who were so determined for him to be crucified, they weren't doing it because they wanted to fulfill the will of God. They were doing it because they hated him and wanted to get rid of him. And they thought they had gotten rid of him. Verse 24. Jesus' resurrection, whom God hath raised up. Whom God hath raised up. And you know, later on, Paul, who wasn't even saved yet, but Paul got saved and became, well, actually Saul got saved and became the Apostle Paul. He stood before the rulers, and I think it was King Agrippa, and he said, why should it seem a thing strange that God should raise the dead? How, why, why would we have a hard time thinking that believing that God could raise the, would raise the dead? God did everything. God can do everything. That's omnipotence, all power. So it says, when God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, the bonds of death, it's interesting, the word literally means the birth pangs. He brought Christ through that, is the idea. But, but notice, here's the, here's the key. To me in this verse 24, one of the key statements is this. Because it was not possible that he should, <clears throat> excuse me, he should be holding of it. Did you get that? It was not possible that he should be holding of it. Not, the question should not be and is not be, is it possible that he rose? The question is, is it possible that he didn't? No. It's impossible that Christ stayed in the grave. And you know that he, he demonstrated that power, right? When he was on the earth, he raised Lazarus. 
He raised a, a widow's son. He raised the centurion's daughter. He raised, he raised folks from the dead to demonstrate his power. And then before he went to the cross, as he was teaching there in John chapter 10, he gave that wonderful chapter about the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gave this life to the sheep. He says, I, I lay down my life for the sheep. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Jesus said, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Not the commandment to lay, not the commandment to do it, but the commandment, not the commandment that he could do it, but the command to do it. It was the will of God. And so, but he's alive. He's alive. In fact, he's alive forevermore. In the book of Revelation, you know, John sees a vision of the, of the risen and glorified Christ. And, and Jesus says to John, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Have the keys of hell and of death. He rose. Praise the Lord for that. He's a living Savior. He's alive. All right. So, Jesus died. <clears throat> Jesus rose again. And so let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter number 15. And uh, the second thing I want us to look at this morning is Christ and the gospel. Christ and the gospel. We've kind of hit it already why he died. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 lays it out before us. Beginning in verse number 1. As the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and Paul had been in the city of Corinth, and he had preached the gospel there, and many had come to know Christ as Savior. Acts chapter 18 says, And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So there were many saved. A church was established, and of course Paul went on his way, but he wrote back to them. He wrote to them twice, as you know. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and he's dealing with all kinds of issues. The church of Corinth had a lot of issues, that things that needed to be straightened out. When he gets to chapter 15, he just goes back and he writes all he writes about the gospel. And so, in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, he's writing to the saved, I declare unto you the gospel. The, the word that's translated gospel here is the, is the Greek word from which we get the English words evangel, Evangelistic or evangelist. It's the word evangel. It means good news. Good news. The gospel. Man, we, you know, we could sure use some good news in our in this country. I'm, I'm so I'm getting off track at all. We've got so we don't even, we don't even watch the news because it's, it's just so disgusting. There's a bunch of there's all kinds of lies. I mean, it's just awful what what's being portrayed over the media today. So we need good news. We need truth. Oh, we need some truth today. Folks, there is truth. A lot of, good, a lot of young people here today, praise the Lord. Good to have you. You know, you didn't understand, folks, and, and not, you know, older people too. You need this, what, this idea that they're putting forth today that there's no truth, there's no absolute truth, is a lie straight from the pit of hell. There is absolute truth. There are things that are right. There are things that are wrong. There are things that are true. There are things that are lies. Please don't let the, the, the society, the culture, the media, everybody tell you that you have to determine your own truth. It, it's just not. It's the truth. And of course, they're doing it to the gospel. They're trying to say that's not the truth. And so... One of the pastors, let me just use this as an illustration before we go into the passage here. One of the pastors who spoke on Friday mentioned being at a funeral service and the so-called minister who was having the service, he read John 14, 6. And I'm going to tell you what he said and you tell me if something's missing. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he continued on with the service. Did he leave something out? Hope you know, right? What did he leave out? Let's say it all together. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So you're not supposed to say that today. We're not supposed to say Jesus is the only way. But you know what? He's the only way. He's the only way. So I, he says, I declare unto you the gospel. 
which I preached unto you. See, Paul was there. He'd been there. And he preached, which also ye received, and wherein ye stand. So that word there, that's the, that, that's the idea that only the gospel, only believing the gospel, which means believing in Christ, will give us a standing with God. It's kind of not just another way of saying, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. We, that's our only stand. The hymn put this way, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground, sinking sand. All right? So, he says, ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If you keep the memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now Paul was referring to the fact that he had preached the gospel to them, and they had professed salvation, but they were being deceived, and they were being led astray, and all kinds of things going on. And he says the only, the only way that that's not true is if you believe in vain or without effect. And of course, a person cannot believe, truly believe in Christ, without effect, without something, without an effect, without a change coming into his life. And so then he goes, then he says, I want you to remember, remember this, for I delivered unto you, Paul said, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. And did he ever? Acts chapter 9, one of the most dramatic conversions ever, when Paul saw Jesus Christ and got saved. But he said this, this is what I received. Can't give it out if you don't have it, if you've not received it. How that? Here it is, here it is. Here, here are the elements of the gospel. This is the message that must be believed. If our sins are going to be forgiven, if we're going to be saved, if we're going to have eternal life, if we're going to go to heaven, we have to believe that this, this, this is non-negotiable. You, you, you can't get out of any of these. Who would, I wouldn't want to, but, I, but maybe somebody would. How, here it is. Number one, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. And I, I'm not going to get in, in on this or a long ways on this, but you know what? That's another word that's being redefined and denied and rejected is the, is the idea of sin. And it's almost to the point from what I read and what I hear that the only thing that's sin in this society is saying that something is sin. That's the one sin. You're not supposed to go condemn, don't judge, blah, 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 all those kinds of things. You know, just doing what Jesus told us to do Preach the gospel, and so on. You can't preach the gospel without preaching about sin. Christ died so we could have a better life. No, that's not what it says. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. What does that mean? Well, when, 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 when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians, there basically was no New Testament yet. But there's, a, there's Old Testament. Man, in the Old Testament, is Christ ever portrayed dying for our sins? Passage like Psalm 22, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, Daniel chapter 9, where it says plainly, Messiah shall be cut off. It means die a violent death. And that's, there's, just, there's many others. All right. Die for our sins. Starts in the book of Genesis, by the way, talking about the future salvation. He died for our sins, according to Scripture, for your sin and mine. So, if, number one, a person to be saved has to first of all admit that, that, that you are a sinner. Okay? That you sin. If you have a problem with that, come talk to me. We'll go to Exodus chapter number 20 and we'll take it right through the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, there, that could have been, there could have been one commandment for me, well, two. Number one, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So that's, when I was a kid growing up, I somehow thought I had to impress the older kids, and so I took the Lord's name in vain. I'm sorry, the Lord knows I've confessed probably more. I know you only have to confess once, but I guess that I keep reminding the Lord, like, you know, I really am sorry I did that. Um, and then disobey your parents. If you ever disobeyed your parents, you're, you're condemned. Because it's a sin. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt, you know, honor thy father and mother. Obey your parents. 
Have you? <laughs> if you're if you're honest, you'll say yes. Anyway. So but when we're all sinners, people have a mentality, well, I never killed nobody. So I'm not a sinner. Maybe somebody's here and you did. You know? I have a cousin who took his friend, he thought it'd be funny to steal his friend's car. It was parked at a, at a store, he jumped in the car, there were three people in the car, he drove around the lake, he hit a tree, the kid in the front seat was killed. The kid in the front seat was a friend of mine, we were in school together. That was between 6th and 7th grade, I'll never forget that. You know, he killed him. He didn't do it on purpose, but he killed him. So, maybe you've never killed anybody, but I know for a fact, you've disobeyed your parents. I'm pretty sure you've taken the Lord's name in vain. Yes, at one point or another. We've all, every, every, the point is, everybody sinned. All right, verse number four. And that he was buried. Right? He died on the cross. We talked about it this morning in the early service. That when the when Joseph of Arimathea, he went to Pilate and he wanted, he, he requested, in fact it says he craved, that was he begged Pilate to let him take the body of Jesus and bury it in the in Joseph's own brand new tomb that never had been used. And Pilate, the Bible says he marveled, Pilate marveled that he was dead already. And so he, he contacted the centurion. The centurion, yes, I saw him die, and I saw the soldier pierce his side, and all the, all the fluids came out, the blood, the water, and he said, yeah, he's dead. He is dead. Normally they come, when people are crucified, they come with, with an axe or whatever, and they, it says in John chapter 19, they came to break their legs. And when they saw that Jesus was dead already, he had said, it is finished, and they said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He bowed his head and died. And, you know, if, you know, if you've ever read about crucifixion, that's not how a crucified person dies. I don't want to be, well, maybe I do. Um, most of the time, they're, they're, what, crucifixion, what happens was you're fighting for every breath. Because the way they, they fasten you and the pressure thing, your only, your only support comes from your arms and your legs. And after you're there for hours, they get weaker and weaker. And I was, one of the guys mentioned this Friday, I've read about it, where they have to kind of, uh, uh, and then they go down again, and it's, uh, just to catch that breath. Well, the Bible says Jesus didn't do that. The Bible says he bowed his head. And it's interesting, gave up the ghost, which literally means he breathed out his spirit. In other words, he released his spirit at the precise moment. Again, predetermined by God. So he didn't die gasping and struggling. He just, it is finished and then to show, and then therefore, by the way, that same centurion made this statement, truly, this man was the son of God, because he had never seen anybody die. But he died. He, he was dead. And by the way, that, that spear that pierced his side, the Bible says there came out blood and water. The blood, the fluids would, 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 would kind of gather there and when, he, when they, they knew what they were doing, those soldiers were professional crucifixionists, if there's such a thing. And so when he pierced that spear there, or pierced the side of the spear, whatever was fluid blood was gone. See, the Bible says that Jesus shed his blood. It means it was gone, all of it. And he died. He was buried. He literally died. Though, you know, the nails were real. The cross was real. The pain was real. The agony was real. It wasn't fake. It wasn't imaginary. It was real. There are those that, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, he died. <clears throat> then it says this. He rose again. Verse 4, he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Again, the same scriptures. In Psalm 22, in Isaiah 53, and in Daniel chapter 9, it talks about his death, but it also prophesies of his resurrection. He rose again the third day. And then it goes on to say he was seen. Verse 5, he was seen. Verse 6, he was seen. Verse 7, he was seen. Verse 8, he was seen. He stayed on the earth 40 days after he rose from the grave. Taught, teaching his disciples and other believers and so on, getting them prepared for when he would go back to heaven. And they saw him, by the way, they saw him ascend and all those wonderful, wonderful things. But he rose to show 
that he had conquered death, and he offers salvation to all who trust in him, and to prove and to show that we also will rise from the grave, all who have believed in him. And so there again, everything, everything we believe in and hope for and trust in, everything we do as Christians is based on the fact that we believe that he rose from the grave. We talked this morning about the lie. The soldiers knew, the guard knew that he rose because they saw the angel come down and the stone rolled away and then they passed out. They became his dead men. And they went to the religious rulers and told them what happened. And what does the Bible say? They were, they were paid off to lie. And say that his disciples came, while we slept, his disciples came and stole the body. So Peter and Paul and John and all these others, and me and everybody down through the ages that preaches the gospel, we're all preaching something that we know is a lie. Does that make any sense at all? You can bet, because you look at the book of Acts, the pressure, when the pressure came, when a few of them started to be killed, you can bet they would have said, hey, okay, okay, we give up, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get the body, we stole it, we hit it, we'll bring it back, leave, you know, just stop, you know, stop the pressure. No, it never happened. Because they know that he, he, he lives, they know he's alive. All right, well, quick, let's go to Philippians chapter 2 really quickly, because his exaltation, his exaltation. Philippians chapter 2, he is he is alive. Those, those wonderful hymns. And I, I was thinking this morning, we, we, we don't, we've got to stop singing those once a year. What's wrong with me? Because <laughs> you know, he's, he's alive every day. But anyway. Philippians chapter 2. I want you, you know, we know he died. We covered that really great a lot there in, in Acts chapter 2 and also 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so um, let's pick it up in verse number 8, please. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. You know, Jesus humbled himself, and you know, he laid aside his heavenly life, came to this earth, and lived a, a humble, lowly life. The Bible says that he took upon him the form of a servant in, chapter, in verse 7. In verse 8, being found in fashion as a man. In other words, he was, he was in the body, he was physical, he was fleshly as, as a man. Sinless man, but a man nevertheless, he humbled himself, submitted himself to the Father's will and plan, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And a couple weeks ago, maybe last week, we talked about in the message about Jesus praying here in the garden, asking God if it's possible to let that cup pass from him, the cup of God's wrath. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So he submitted. He submitted to death on the cross. Wherefore, look at verse 9. Look what God has done. Look what God the Father has done. I, and I, I don't, you know, I, I just want to say, I mean, God knew everything that was going to happen. You know, God knew that Jesus was going to die. He knew that he was going to be buried. He knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. And even during that three hours of darkness, he turned his back on his only, his only begotten son. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God couldn't look on his own son because his son was bearing the sin of the world. But I still can't help but think there was something in the heart of God that must have been broken by the death of his only begotten son. But he, he did that. And so, he let him die. Can you imagine what, how God, I don't even know how to put in words, I, I don't want to say how God felt, because God doesn't have feelings. I mean, but can you just imagine in, in the heart and mind of God, when his son rose from the grave, can you imagine God the Father? It says God also hath highly exalted him. By the way, go back, many of the Psalms, like Psalm 22, is a prophecy of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. Psalm 23 is the prophecy of him being the shepherd. By the, when you read Psalm 23, um, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, David wrote. John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. So Jesus was David's shepherd. 
And so that's that. And then chapter 24 is lift, lift, lift up. Be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord mighty in battle. That's Jesus going into heaven after he arose from the grave. So Psalm 24 is about the ascension and about the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. God hath highly exalted him. Now how high? And given him a name which is above every name. Every name. So who is high in your esteem, in your life? Who's your, you know, whatever, hero? Right? Who is it? Who do, you, who do you think highly of? God has made Jesus way above that. I hope it's him. I hope it's Jesus Christ. Notice this. <clears throat> Given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus. That name. Every knee should bow. And I, if I could, I would tell all these I'm sorry, all these Hispanic people, especially stop naming your kids Jesus. Stop naming your kids Jesus. I don't know why they do that. Or Emmanuel, stuff like that. They do that. I'm not sure if it's, I don't know. But, you know, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't name our kids Jesus and Emmanuel. Because Emmanuel means God with us. And that's only Jesus. But anyway, Jesus Christ, the name. And so we, we need to, as Christians, if we believe our day, we need, to, we need to elevate and exalt that name and treat that name like God did, like the Father. And don't stand by idly when people profane that name. And to this day, that's, I obviously, I've been out in the workforce, some of you know that, and so I've been around all kinds of people, and even now, I go to, I, I'm around all kinds of people, not so many since COVID came, but anyway, around all kinds of people, and I hear everything. I hear every foul word that's ever been invented by the wicked minds of man. But you know the one that, the one that just, every time I hear it, they're just like a sword in my heart, when they take the precious name of my Savior as a, as a curse word. I worked with a guy one time, and I let him know, and, his, and I, he, he would say it all the time, I said, you know, I, I, don't, I, really don't, I really don't like that. When you, when you say, that's my Savior you're talking about. So one day he called me aside. He says, hey, I know you don't like it when I use the Lord's name, do you? And I said, no, I don't. And I think, yes, yes, a breakthrough. He steps back, he looks up at the sky, and says the Lord's name about ten times. Yeah, so he wasn't, he was just showing me, you know, how much he cared for the Lord, or for my love for him, or whatever, for the Lord. And so, but, but the name of Jesus is a holy and sacred and precious name. We need to make sure that remains such. Don't, you know, just don't use it any other way. I tell the children. Because kids learn that from, you know, they, they learn to make to say God and Jesus when they're not supposed to. And I just say, look, the only time you're supposed to use the name of God or Jesus is when you're singing about him, praying to him, or telling somebody about him. That's all. Okay. Now, that's what God has done. God has exalted him. Now, I want you to notice this. Verse 10 to 11 tells us what every human being will do. Right? Now, most of you, I know you very well, but I'm going to look, I'm, I'm going to look everybody in the eye. Right? Let's start right up here. You three, you, <laughs> you five, you four, you three, you two, you two, you one, you two, you three, you two, me. This is what you are going to do and what I am going to do. Verse 9, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And that's not a probability, that's a, that is a certainty. Every knee will bow. In fact, Romans chapter 14 says, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee will bow to me. Okay? In the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Things in heaven, that means the heavenly host and all those up there, things on the earth, that's all the people, things under the earth, and that's spirits and the people that have been buried, all those kinds of things. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? So 
It's going to happen. Every knee will bow. Now, here's the thing. And you have to determine this morning, actually this afternoon, what, who, which one? Which one are you? Are you, are you, the, are you one who has already bowed before him, confessing him as your Savior and your Lord? Or, if not, then you're going to be one of those who will bow before him as, as your judge. And as the one who will say, depart from me, curse him, into everlasting fire. Yes, there's a lake of fire, there's a hell. There's a heaven, there's a hell. Those who have bowed before the Lord now, confessing they're a sinner, confessing him as Savior and Lord, and trusting him, you will be in heaven. Those, if you don't do that, if you don't bow before him in this life, confessing him as your Savior, you will bow before him at the judgment day. Book of Revelation calls it the great white throne judgment, and you will confess that Jesus is Lord, but it will be too late. He will be your judge. Now that's Bible. I know a lot of people they don't believe that. People believe that there's a the second chance in no way. No way is there a second chance after death. No way. You die without having trusted Christ as Savior, as Savior and read what Luke uh, 19 says, and 16 where it says, the rich man died, was buried in hell, and lifted up his eyes. You die, you're not saved, you're, you admit you die, you're in hell, and you're there forever, no getting out. That's it, that's the truth. So Jesus Christ died, that's why he died, that's why his death is so important, he died, he was buried, he rose again, so that no one has to go to hell. But there's only Jesus is the only way to happen. So if you won't go his way, then you're hope you're out of luck. Out of luck, you know, whatever. You're, you're hopeless. Alright, think about that. Well, I want us to look at one more verse, and that's Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're done. Because of the uh, I want to just mention. And they get back to some of these things next Sunday. I really think I really do that. I ought to do that. Romans 8, chapter 11 says this. <clears throat> because the Bible says that when we are saved, when we accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell, live within us. And our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to give you this one last thing. And, and I mentioned before I read Romans 8, 11, I mentioned already that the, the, the disciples, they saw Jesus ascend back toward heaven. And as they saw him go, two angels appeared and they said, Jesus is coming back. Right? But in Romans 8, 11, notice this. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, that's the Holy Spirit, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So the Bible says here, that the Holy Spirit is the same Spirit that quickened Jesus and gave him life again will also give us life. Now, what are, if we, and then so, especially he's talking to those who, who would die, and Paul, everybody in Paul's generation has died, has died, but they're going to be raised up someday. There's a resurrection. Jesus is going to take us out of this world to be with him in heaven. And that, that is what the Bible calls our blessed hope. And so, you need to understand that. Um, people, things, religion complicates things today. But the gospel is very simple. We, we, we are saved. Our sins are forgiven. We're saved by God's grace, by grace through faith. Faith in Christ. Him alone. We don't add anything to that. And so I, I hope you understand that today. But if you're, if you're here to, with us today and you don't know where you stand the Lord, you, you don't know if you're saved, uh, please let us know. Let, let, let us show you more from the Word of God because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can have in thy Word. May I pray that you would bless your Word to our hearts. Use it to bring conviction as needed, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 125 in your hymn book, so please stand. Um, and then we're going to read a few verses. We're happy.
We're going to observe the Lord's table here in just a moment, but uh, number 125. 125. <coughs> Alright, let's say verses 1 and 3. Right? Verse 1 and verse 3. Jesus paid it all. Just please think about this as we sing. I hear the Savior say, I strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it Brother Bruce, would you lead us in prayer, please, and ask God's blessing on the table? Lord God, our, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your blessings this day. Father, we thank you for this time you've spent in your word and being reminded of, of what exactly you did for us. Lord, you saw our helpless condition. Father, for our own disobedience and our own helplessness to make it right with you. Lord, you did what was necessary by sending your 
your dear Son, your only begotten Son, to, to die in our place, to take our punishment. Father, as we remember his death, his burial, his resurrection, Father, we just thank you for all you have done on our behalf. And help us, Father, not only today but always, to put him first and to be good and faithful servants. We pray it, Father, now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Jesus took the bread and he said, Take eat. This is my body. With regard to the cup, he gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. And there is a little basket back there for your empty cups. Um, the Bible says that they sang a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives. Of course, that was when Jesus was arrested and everything. And so, I'd like us to sing Hymn number 187. Um, if you're going to sing a couple verses, maybe just one verse, if you need the word, it's 187. Blessed be the tie that binds, and what it is that, that binds us together is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saved today, that mutual, that mutual faith, trust, hope, everything that we have in the Lord Jesus. So let's stand, please, and be dismissed by singing one verse of Blessed be the tie. Blessed be the time.